Pushkin. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Hearing the Fuji's second album, The Score, is the first time I remember not just liking music, but loving it. Fuji La, Killing Me Softly, Ready or Not would come on the radio and I'd get goosebumps. I still get goosebumps hearing Lauren Hill sing that hook. There's something absolutely timeless about the music Wyclef created with Lauren and Praz as the Fugees. Same as the Beatles, same as Stevie Wonder. That's how high I rate this music. So when Wyclef Jean pulled up to the studio where he recorded this interview, I was nervous. I mean, I was bugging. But lucky for me, Wyclef is one of the coolest people ever. I'll put it like this. Wyclef was supposed to bring his guitar to the interview. Somehow, the message never got to him. Instead of throwing a fit or bailing on the interview, he said, just find a guitar, I'll play it. I can play any guitar. Sure enough, we found the most janky guitar in a nearby office. It's one of those guitars you buy for a kid who says they want to play guitar, but you're not sure they're going to stick with it. One of those. But he was happy to play it. You literally got to keep tuning it, you know? Because <laughs> the wood is bent. It's, a, it's like bad wood? Yeah. It's like, you know, after a while when you don't play it. This is the dude who wrote a hit song for Carlos Santana. Remember Maria Maria? And here he is miraculously tuning this junky guitar, which he plays during this episode. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Guitar ain't even my first instrument. What's your first instrument? Bass. Upright bass. Upright bass. Yeah. What year was it when you first picked up the bass? Man, if I picked up the bass, Picked up the bass early high school, but first time I played the bass, I was 14. 14, I played the bass. First time I played, um, uh, first instrument ever was a trombone. You know, I started with the horn instrument because my dad, he played like a little bit of saxophone. So I was digging like some of the horn instruments in the beginning. What, and so you grew up in Haiti without your mom and dad to yeah, start. Yeah. So your parents were already in the States. Yeah, well, my dad, he um, he got a work visa to come preach in America because it was for Church of the Nazarene. And at the time, um, he was just like a brilliant minister. And they was like, yo, we're going to get you a visa and we're going to bring you to America so you can help bring more Caribbean people to the faith, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because you know sometimes, man, the church is like a basketball team. They just be recruiting, you know what I mean? So they like NBA draft pick my daddy. And he came and he left me in Haiti at one years old. My mama was pregnant, my other bro. And, you know, it, it's the real immigrant story. He left in search of a, a, a life. And at the time, you know, the immigration laws, bro, when your visa done ran out, bro, it was no joke. Really? Yeah. So you had to go back because if your visa runs out, you got to go back. At the time, my daddy visa run out and he goes, look, man, if I go back to the island right now, I'll never get my kids up here. It'll never happen. So he was like, yo, <laughs> this must be a sign of God and dude went underground 
Just and do then, some church folks? Nah, or? like when you move in underground, it's like you move in immigrant, like hardcore, like those that understand. At the time, when you are illegal, uh, what used to happen was the factories had these deals, like the knitting factories. So my dad also was a tailor. So, you know, at night, they could bring like two, three hundred immigrants and they're having you do crazy like sweatshop work. You know what I'm saying wow. to you? Oh, yeah, this was America, dog. This this was my daddy. And my daddy was working and he heard immigration. And my dad said, bro, he took off like a cheetah, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> so somehow he got my mama up here and I'm still in Haiti. And uh, he had a, they had a Brooklyn and they had a child. And um, so at the time, once again, with those immigration laws, you had a children in the United States. Um, now you could apply for citizenship. So, you know, that's why I'm, I'm like real sensitive when it comes to like uh, immigration policy, like mad sensitive because it's like. I could have fall like within the, depending on what generation, I could have been a DACA baby, you know, depends on right. the generation. So, um, so he had two kids in Brooklyn and they, they got, um, their citizenship. Cause once you had the kids in the state at the time, they automatically became Americans. Then they came to Haiti, man. I don't know if anybody, you ever seen that movie Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. That's me and my little brother, bro. Like we, we up in the deep village, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Until you were about like nine too, right? Yeah. We lived in a village till we was nine, man. Um, dirt poor, like it's yo, by the time I got to the projects in Brooklyn, I didn't know what they was talking about when they was talking about they were poor. Because I, I didn't get it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, yo. Um, so we, to, to to go to the bathroom, we usually was called a ravine. You know, and the ravine is like, it ain't no bathroom. It's literally like you go, something like they built in the back. Um, if anybody's seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, literally, that's what you're using the bathroom. Um, ain't no electricity, you feel me? Like, so you're relying on candles or a lamp. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And then you have what's called the oil for the lamp. You know what I mean? Right. Like a kerosene so, lamp. That's right. That's right, bro. The oil. And we live right around. There was a big cemetery. So literally, we lived. Our playground, you know how like doozy, like, yo, we, you know, we in the hood. Let's go to the park. Yeah. Like, we'd be like, yo, let's go to the cemetery. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in the cemetery, man? Playing. Wow. We were kids, man. That was a playground for us. Just some open space. To... Man, listen, bro, we was having a great time in the cemetery. We used to play this game. Um, the game was called I'm Going to America. So bring they bring the donkey around. And I get in on the donkey and all the kids crowd around. And, um, you know, it's mad Creole. You know, I'm saying it in English, but it's all Creole at the time. And they're like, yo, where you going? And I said, y'all know where I'm going? I'm going to America. And I said, okay, everybody tell me what y'all want, you know? And, you, you know, so, so it's like, yo, bring me back diamonds. Dude's like, bring me back food. Now, keep in mind, while this game is going on, we probably ain't eat for like three days. You feel me? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, imagination, man. People be like, yo, how did you escape poverty? I said, through imagination. So I'm like real sensitive when people be putting, uh, 
when NGOs put, they go to these villages and then they film like these kids, like you can see, like they film Haitian kids, African kids, or, and then they come back and they be like, yo, you know, we, um, you know, give us some money for these kids. And I was one of those poster boys. I didn't need no money from nobody. It was like, all I needed was an opportunity. So like the cry of the villages, the kids are crying for opportunity, not for anything else. Like no one really demands a handout. That's really how we was brought up. So no matter how crazy it was, we still was happy. You know what I mean? I mean, when you consider that you came here, you were nine, 10. Yeah. And you get you become successful with the Fuji's like, not even that long, much later. So it's like, was I it- wasn't even success. Like the real Wyclef story is even crazier. The Fuji's is that like the very last chapter of the start of the Wyclef career, right? Because I came at nine, I was a hustler. By the time I'm 14 years old, barely 15 years old, I'm in the studio with Curtis Blow. <laughs> you was in the studio with Blow? Yeah, I asked Curtis, Curtis Blow. Blow when you see him. I was barely 15. Curtis Blow was producing my first crew. It was called Exact Change. So this was like, so for me, and the way that that happened was through our school in Jersey, because we used to go back and forth, Brooklyn to Jersey. So in Jersey, they had a program where you can get an internship in the summertime. And we had got an internship for CBS Records. You feel me? So it's like you get that summer internship. It was a program for urban communities. And when I tell you, bro, I was rapping and my father never knew what I did. Like the word rap, a hip hop in my daddy's home, Caribbean home, church home, Bro, like late 80s, early 90s, this is like, dog, it's forbidden. So you have to understand, I'm living a double life. Like, you know what I mean? Like when, when you'd be seeing like them dudes, um, I'd be watching them old like tapes of like the Aretha's, right. uh, Otis and all of them. And then, so when you're in the church, it's still the same thing. Like you got two circuits. Like, so they'd be like, yo, you can't do that kind of music. So literally you're sneaking to do it without the church knowing, you feel me? So <laughs> right. that that's how that was my hip hop, and um, and then in the church every Sunday is is you're pounding on church music. So my dad though he was strict, but we had a man um, a manager teacher slash, and that's what helped me get into that program, and um, and then she was like, yo, um, we met Curtis, and I think from there, he noticed like how I was in the studio as a kid because. I just always would ask questions. Like, I'd be like, yo, how? why does the board move like that? Um, and then I see, like, it's a Neve board with all them keys in it. And I'm like, yo, but my brain was like, yo, if you learn to operate one, you can operate all. You feel me? Right. So then, um, then I met Quincy Jones. This is all, dog, this is, we're not even talking Fuji's yet. That's what I'm saying. Like, the so real you're a teenager story. and you're hanging with Quincy. I'm a t teenager. Look, Quincy Jones came to a play I did. It was an off-Broadway play. It was called The Twelfth Night. And we was trying to get, this is how crazy I was. So um, Twelfth Nights is Shakespeare. 
So you have these characters, Malvolio, Sebastian, the Duke, and all of that. So it was like, what happens if we take this play and we put it in an urban setting? So we took Shakespeare and we put it in an urban setting. I did the entire score for the play. And from the play, I, I, blew, I blew up. Uh, MC Light was in the play. Lisa Carson was in the play. Lauren Hill was in the play. Darren, uh, Madeline, what's Dar Darren's last name? The big choreographer, huh? Darren, Darren Hansen. You know Darren. He was a crazy choreographer. Then he went on to choreographer in sync. So everybody was blowing up, man. Plays from loaded. this, yeah. But as kids, like it was just like, you know, it was like a super talent. So for me. You know, going from there and loving the culture, I was a big fan of Rakim, right? Of course. So now, now I'm like 17. My man come in, he say, yo, um, Rakim is shooting a video in Long Island. And I was like, yo, come on, let's go. We're going to get in the video. I ain't never meet no Rakim. I just was like a stan, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yo, I'm a fan. I got to get there. So I'll, I'll never forget... And my man was like, what's the treatment? I was like, I don't care what the treatment is. We getting in the music video. So we took the train from Jersey. I took my upright bass, a big ass upright bass dog on, on the train. My man took his drums, dog, and we get there, bro. And they got the big bodyguards at the door. You know, it's like the big movie scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we from the hood. And dude's like, can I help you? And I'm like, what you mean, Ken, can you help us? We the band. We here for the video. And he says, go set up by the pool. So now we set up by the pool. I set up my upright. My man set up his drum. And I'm wink. I'm like, yo, just go with this till the guard get here. So now Rakim is late. So the director starts to bring all the girls out. And he got to do these shots. So Rakim and them ain't there yet. So guess he's who he starts to shoot? Us. So now if you go online and you watch Eric B and Rakim, Don't Sweat the Technique, I'm the kid with the upright bass, man. You're in the Don't Sweat the Technique video. Yes, the kid with the upright bass. That's what I'm telling you. That's crazy. So it's like, that's why I was saying, like, you know, before we talk about Fuji's, I, I always want kids to understand, like, the grind to even get to because it's almost like you can see the glamour and the lights but it's like for a dude a kid to come from haiti and you know we barely talking about 17 18 so so i i always tell extras when i go on the videos and i'm like yo don't sleep like yo do the bet like don't think you an extra and i even was showing the extras like how you could steal a shot from the the celebrities, you know, because I did it all in that Rakim video. Like, you'll see, I'll be like, yo, this is how you steal a shot. You know? <laughs> it's one-on-one for, one -on -one, yeah. <laughs> for extras. So this was the culture. And then now I'm uh, 18 going on 19. I always remember this because this was the day that there was freeing Nelson Mandela. Wow. Right? And what's crazy about this story I'm giving, like I'm giving you, it's sort of like when people, this will help people understand like why they love the score so much. Like when they hear why so much like heart into it. So Mandela was getting out of prison. This is the day Mandela and I'm in Jersey. And my man said, yo, there's a label in, in 
New York called Easy Street, Big Beat Records, you know. And they have an instrumental and they looking for somebody to to write some music to it and do some vocals. And, you know, it's paying like, I think like $250. So I was like, yo, I'm in. You know, that's like a pair of Pumas, the whole outfit, bro. So, and you could get the brush to clean off your Puma, somebody step on it. So, so I go and I'm so excited because I know the story of Nelson Mandela. So I'm inspired that day. It's house music. And so my first record that I ever recorded was Big Beat Records, Atlantic. And the record's called Out of the Jungle. Now, when you go back to to listen to this, it's a funny story with it. So I'm vibing these lyrics, man, because and everything I'm saying, I'm feeling it because I'm so excited about Mandela out of prison. And I'm so excited after I do the vocals. I just I, t I, t I take the money. I don't sign the form or nothing. I leave. I'm gone, bro. <laughs> so when I'm gone. This record comes out, my man, and it's called Out of the Jungle. So when you listen to it, so it was a time when hip-hop and house music was on the same level because we all was going to the club and we literally was dancing to both because it was a big dance culture. So it was like you either were, you was breaking the hip-hop and at the same time, house music was like the gully you know, it was like the gully underground sound, but it was like forbidden also. Right. Um, and it was a little deeper than hip hop because house, your parents don't want you to get involved with house because, you know, the house is a little deeper. Now you're getting, you know, that's when the acid starts. It's a drug different drug. You are, the, yeah, because right. with the hip hop, you know, you with the weed, everything's safe. You feel what I'm <laughs> right. saying at the time? Yeah, you right. dip into the house. They're like, yo. Um, so the record comes out. And it explodes in the underground. It's called Out of the Jungle. Can now, you pull it, can you pull it up? Do you have? Do you have? I want to. Uh, you you could pull it. You could yeah. pull it up. And I'm gonna tell you what's gonna bug you out. So years later, man, a DJ I know called DJ Flex, not not Flex from Hot 97, not, not. my other man Flex who plays EDM. He goes, Yo, man, did you have a twin? In the 90s, and I'm going to tell you why you can't find the record yet. And I'm going to tell you how you're going to find it, and you're going to die laughing. He goes, yo, did you have a twin in the 90s? And I said, no. He said, yo, dog, I be spinning this record. This dude sound just like you, but he not you. His name is Africali, right? I'm like, what? He said, nah, this dude sound, he probably from Africa somewhere, but this dude sound just like you. So... If you go online and you punch up Africali out of the jungle. So I left the studio. Dudes didn't know my name. And they're like, yo, this motherfucker sound African. So let's give him a name. Motherfuckers just called me Africali. They just, they just, yo, they just gave me a name. Dudes just turned around <laughs> and traded me like a slave, bro. And was like, yo, this is your name. So, <laughs> so yo. Can you imagine, like, years later when I blow up and I see those same people and I'm like, they're like, well, why clever? I'm like, no, Africa. <laughs> <laughs> if you check the sleeve on Paradise Presents Africali's Out of the Jungle, you'll actually see Dedicated to the Freedom of Mandela. We'll be back with more from Wyclef after the break. 
Broken Record is presented by Lexus, which asks, what amazing ideas will you inspire next? Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfield to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? How do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, what is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back with more from Wyclef. After the Afrikali incident, he finally connects with Prize and Lauren Hill to form the Fugees. So Prize hit me up, and Prize and you know the, Prize from Prize is like uh, we call. I used to you know like you in the hood and you you make friends right. with with. So Prize, I had a church band, and remember I told you in the church, and Prize wanted to come and and uh, be part of our church band. So he came and, and was like, Yo, "What do you do?" He said he played trumpet and he pulled the trumpet out and started playing. Um, was making us laugh. So I was like, yo, so we connected. So, but Prize always had a hustle too. He always had a hustle. So Prize was serious. So Prize hit me up and was like, yo, I'm in the studio with two girls and I need a reggae hook. That's what he told me. So, you know, I'm like, what is Prize up to now, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I go to the studio and the producers, man, are Khalees Bayan from Cool and the Gang. He's like the mastermind behind Cool and the Gang. So everything we hear, that celebrate good time, all that stuff, he the one who did that. Incredible. So I was just amazed to be in the studio. So I went and then I did my little vocals. And um, so, you know, I was on my, um, one of my favorite movies was The Five Heartbeats. Yeah, classic. Classic. So I was on my Eddie Kane shit, minus the drugs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Still played the poker and everything, right? So, you know, I see the pretty girl. So, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to smash this jab. <laughs> so, I did my part and I came out and um and the girls was like, did you Yo. And you wrote the part? Like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I, I, I improvised. What uh, was it? Do you remember what it was? Um, It was a record called The Enforcer, The Enforcer. The worst Fuji record ever. <laughs> but it was like, yeah. So, we, we go and then... So, Khalees Bayon's like, yo, do y'all hear that? I was like, no. He said, yo, there's something going on with the four of y'all. It was four people. It wasn't three. It was Lauren and another girl named Marcy. And Marcy sounded like Mariah Carey. And then Lauren had the Nina Simone vibe. Right. So um, it was four people. And the sonics and the way the vocals were sounding, this dude was like, yo, this sounds like a group. And so Khalees and his mind, who has created Cool in the Gang, what you think we're going to tell this guy? No, I mean, he knows exactly what it is. He got Grammys. He's sitting on it. So he brought us in to start recording. 
And then we started recording what became Blunted on Reality. Wow. Not even the score yet. So while we was so recording... But dude, dude from Cool in the Gang... Was the Fuji's first producer. Insane. The real producer wow. of the Fuji's. The first real producer of the Fuji's was Khalees Bayon from Cool in the Gang. The One of the... like. Mastermind behind Cool in the Gang, Jungle Boogie, all of that. He was one of my senseis. Winter Sadness, Summer Madness, all that. Yeah, some, yo, Summer Madness, summer that's madness. his whole brain. Wow. That's his brain. So you understand, now he takes me in as an understudent because I'm always asking questions. You feel me? So he's, so this is, the, this was the birth of the Fugees. So we struggling. So, the girl Marcy parent says, "Look, this this group thing ain't gonna work for you. You have to go to school. Like you have a chance to go to college. You gotta go." And then she leaves the group, and then she goes ahead to college. I think in Boston. And then us three, we stayed. We rehearsed every day, and we didn't just like rehearse. Like it was like we was clear. Like we wanted to be a band. Not a group like a, we wasn't trying to just have mics and then turn. No, we wanted to come out with the guitar. We had the drums, the bass, the whole, put a band together. So every day we would rehearse. But where did that come from? Because that is like, who else was doing it? Maybe the, the Roots were probably maybe doing it. Well, keep it. in mind, my background was from the church. So as a maestro, already I had the idea of saying, you know, I played. So I was like, yo, there's no way we're not going to play. So we have to be a band. But like, how does it even like? Because like, Stetson Sonic, the root. But I mean, like, it's not like a real thing to be like, I'm gonna do. It's but where we came from, band, like, yeah. You know? But it was a natural thing for us. Wow. Like, we're not thinking. It's almost like every record today, a kid sings. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's natural to him. Like he ain't thinking. He don't even know. Like, ask these, you know, these young little rappers today. Like, you'd be like, yo, they are singing naturally, right? Right. But then you would have a young thug who has a song called Why Clef Jean. Now, when you talk to him, you'd be like, yeah, that's my guy. Like, Why Clef, he'd be singing. He'd be, to them, that's just natural. But it's natural because you guys, like, did it. You yeah, know but, what, I mean? but like, you I, what I'm were... telling you is when we was doing it in our brain, it was just like the way the kids are doing it today. So we wasn't thinking like somebody can't tell me, oh, if you sing, going to November, you know, or or Lauren sing Killing Me Softly, oh, y'all, now we more gangster than you. You understand? Like, yo, like we gangster than you because we are going to say on the record that we going to pop you. And then we're going to pull a certain gun out on you. And then we're going to put the crack valves in our hands. We're going to know. But then, now, let's check the facts. I'm from Marlboro Projects in Brooklyn in the late 80s. You ever looked up that project? It's one of the worst projects in the world. So, for me, when I look at authors, it was just natural to us. I was like, yo, we all are going to tell this story. But what made the Fuji's unique was you had three perspectives, right? So you had like Lauren that was on that Nina Simone, you know, that Donny Hathaway thing. Like she clearly was on that and was on some like uh, black power vibes, like like some, you know, she would study all this stuff like Pac, like Tupac. Lauren would study like she had a clear understanding. If you want to understand the depth of black history with the Fugees, all you have to do is 
go to the first album, Blunted on Reality, and play the first song. It ain't a song. It's a poem to the Klux Klan. So this is the depth of the kind of core that you're dealing with. So you had that. Then you had Prize, you know, who who literally, Prize would be listening to anything that was rock. Prize knew it. So if it was Guns N' Roses, if it was Metallica, if it was, you know. So Prize was moving like a punk rock kid. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, and he had the ear like that. Then you had Wyclef, you know what I mean? A kid from the village, you know what I'm right. saying to you? That that somehow became a weird jazz musician. So you put this kind of fusion thing together and it just exploded into so 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 to your point, it was natural. Like it was like when people was like, yo, I remember man driving my car, you know, and then this is like New Jersey drive style. So going back and where where we we're racing to a Biggie Smalls concert. Why could we open it up for Biggie? Right? So and then so we playing with Biggie. We in LA. I remember we being in LA and the show, Ice Cube, everybody is there. My Concepcion, everyone you could think of is there. If we get on, what well, it's real. It's love because we come from that space. And then Keep in mind, so I wasn't even really listening to East Coast music, even though I was in the East Coast. Now, that's another weird thing about the Fugees. What were you listening to? I was listening to hieroglyphics, like Dell. Yeah, that was more, wow. you know. So even when you hear the Fugees, the way they rhyme, the whole style just sounded different. It was, so it was a combination of all of that that was going on. So for us, hip-hop wasn't just. What caught your ear about that versus like even like, like De La or Tribe, which are kind of, or Jungle Brothers. They were more melodic. Mm. I could relate to them. Like, they was doing, like, what I was doing. Like, they were doing it, like, you could hear they go from a rhyming to a melody. You know what I'm saying to you? And then, what was my man that flipped? There I go, there I go, there, there I, I go. go. It was a hip-hop kid who did that, too. He was from out here. I, I got to think. But, um, and then you had Souls of Mischief, you know, all yeah. of that. Like, so... And then the production, I found it fascinating because it was a lot of jazz samples going on. You know what I mean? Right. So, so once again, that that's the 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 core. When you from that kind of core, you know, because you got two kinds of people. You got the the public, who a kid who's from the hood, from really from the ghetto, from the projects. When he here ready or not, you think like he's. He already knows the code. When I say now that I escape, sleep, walk, awake, those that, that he knows that's equivalent to a Biggie Smalls record. He know which Biggie record. He know the talk, you know? So at the end of the day, we was ignoring what everyone was saying because critics were trashing us, right? Uh, um, Remember? You did Blunted on Reality? Blunted on Reality. Even like the respect we should have got when we did the score. It was like we was blowing up and it was crazy big. The score got respect but the respect that it should have got, it got afterwards. It seems like, though, but it got more respect, weirdly, from, like, the kind of, like, white sort of, like, the Rolling Stones or, like, the Village Voice, like, or, like, you know what I mean? Like, those type of... One trillion, quadrillion percent. That's right. Right, but, like, the source, like, was, you know, it's like... Yet, yeah, the, the, once again, I came from Haiti, so I didn't, I didn't... When I saw Bob Marley, that's the manager. The manager's phone is ringing. When I saw Bob- Manager need a manager. The manager needs a manager. Yo, when I saw 
Bob Marley. I saw Rolling Stones. I saw the Beatles. I'm saying like on VCR tape. I saw Michael Jackson. I saw the Temptations. I saw the Fugees. Like I I was like, we're going to be big. So at the end of the day, I knew that a lot of those editors at the time, they would not get what we was doing at the time, but it wasn't really for them, right? Because now we're 30 years in, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine when I'm chilling and a 19-year-old kid comes up to me and he's reciting every lyric from the score, the carnival to eclectic, even all the way to Sweetest Girl. He's telling you how he found these records. It just makes you understand all you got to do is keep going. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, scores. I mean, that, I mean, you must hear it all the time. The scores, like, for, for, for a lot of people, I mean, that was, that's some of the first music outside of, like, you know, probably, like, maybe Summertime, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. The Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff or something like that. But, I mean, I feel like the score is, like, the first music that I'm really cognizant of in my life. Like, it was, mm-hmm. like, just on repeat in my mom's car. Like, just, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like, all those hits, man. All those jams. And it feels like every record on there could have been a hit. There really was only, like, four or five singles. But it feels like every, when you listen now, yeah. like, yo, every one We couldn't one of even these put them a... out. We couldn't even put singles out no more. Because label was like, man, like, y'all could literally put a single out for each one of these songs. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I want to back up a little bit. I mean, so... What were you playing at the time? Like you, like you play like you. You say you go nowhere without a guitar. Like you, I just saw you tune like the worst guitar. <laughs> you probably, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. you probably played in a while. Yeah. Um. Like, what was it you were listening to before you got with the Fujis that you felt like you could kind of merge with what Prize and Lauren were doing? Like, can, well, I came up. I mean, my brother, we was in the hood. They was listening to like Pink Floyd, uh, Sting, Synchronicity, The Police. Uh, Michael Hedges that was my little brothers like one of my brothers was into that so he would give me the music and now I would share the music back with him you know um, I was listening to like Thelonious Monk like Miles Davis or Blakey the way the drummer would roll and then I would give him some of that music you know what I'm saying in the 80s that's what you're listening to yeah yeah all that and then um, and then uh, and of course hip hop we all my other brother literally we would sneak because we had to hit the cassette and let it run. You see what I'm saying? And then get the tape and then listen back to that like the next day. So the ill thing is like if you know the Red Alert show, someone's taping it because you can't listen into it at the house. And then you leave, man, you throw on your headphones. You hit that Sony Walkman, bro. And it was heaven. So for me, um, very eclectic at a young age. I loved Bach. And they always used to say I was weird because I, I would watch uh, movies. Um, so like I'm a movie buff, you know, my dad like would have VCR and different things, but they would see me watching films silently. And then so like Once Upon a Time in America, classic, and like before the Godfather, original, and then I would watch it but silent with no mute, no voice or whatever. It's like, yo, what, what you doing? And I'm like, yo, I can hear the score. I can hear the music that's supposed to be on this. So... Then when I go back and watch it, I put it on and match it with to see if what's in my head. You feel what I'm saying to you? You would test yourself kind of like, did I Yeah, yeah. This? And then it was crazy because years later, um, the first person who gave me my shot at scoring a movie is Brian Grazier. Big, big pr- um, producer. Like he did like some of the biggest movies ever in Hollywood. Uh, but he was like, 
They was like, yo, did this kid ever score anything? He said, no, but he's going to score this one. And and you know what the movie was? Life, Eddie Murphy and Martin oh, Lawrence. Rough. Yeah, I did the score for that. Amazing. Yeah. That was your first movie? That was my first score. Dang. Then from there, I did Hotel Rwanda, um, the theme song for that. So people started saying, yo, this this cat. So the scoring is another life for me. Like, I love I love that kind of stuff. That I, I guess that's that discipline from, like, the jazz and the classical right. background. You know what I mean? So, like, but what were you, like, what? Like what were you playing on guitar at the time that you felt like you could turn into like I don't know if you could, could if you could play something like what like what's an example of like a riff that you were playing that you would hear that you'd be like I could hear this being like I could I could turn this into something with the Fugees. So anyone who's listening, the way that I play the guitar is a very unorthodox style. I consider myself a hip-hop guitarist because when I play, you literally can hear the fusion of the drum inside your head and at the same time. But what made me crazy was I was a battle rapper and it used to throw people off because I would play instruments so they would underestimate bars because they would see the guitar in my hand, then I would have to go in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I rap, play guitar in battles. You know what I'm saying, too? I mean, I could go in right now, man. It's... Let's go in. Yeah. Let me let y'all know a little bit about why I clef. I went from cavemen to slave men, church scream amen, and then they lynch men. I bought y'all the 911 before the world trade. I could see the world through Ray Charles Shays. I try to warn them, they ain't wanna listen. Nostradamus saw the birds, now there's two things missing. Two sons sitting, Hussein's son sitting so calm, they father Saddam hung in the prison. I'd be damned if a man put a tech in my hand, had me in the sand, shooting at the brown man. Runner become the gunner, the gunner become the hunter, the hunter become the hunted on America's most wanted. How does America's most wanted get apprehended when this man turns state on his co-defendant? You need a lawyer, let me talk for you. You in the wheelchair, blood, let me walk for you. What if Martin Luther stayed in the room, never stepped foot in the balcony? What if they had a bulletproof car instead of a drop top for Kennedy? When Malcolm did the speech, what if I sat amongst the congregation? So when the boys can get your hands in my pocket, a five shots at the assassins. Listen, children, ain't nothing new under the sun. What if I had put blank in Marvin Gaye's father's gun? What if y'all knew the truth before sending your kids to war? I told y'all the man don't care about Iraq, care about the oil. Now what if I could go back in time? I'll erase 9-11, dip to the Bahamas, and put Aaliyah's luggage in the 747. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> We'll be back with more from Wyclef after the break. Broken Record is presented by Lexus, which asks, what amazing ideas will you inspire next? We're back with more Wyclef. What were you listening to like in Haiti? In Haiti, you know, we have the music of the village, you know what I mean? Like you come up, I guess I, that's why I learned how to, you know, like you see how I pick up an instrument and just the acoustic. You know, you singing with the village, the ladies, you know, they got their hair tied down, 
They're dressed in white. They're praying. Sometimes they're dressed in red. You know, they're worshiping. And they're singing these songs, bro. It's these hymns. It's like, it's very spiritual. And um, very, very, like, uh, put you in trans vibe. Makes you feel a certain way. And um, I guess the same vibe I heard them singing when I was like, Seven or eight years later, when I went to Lagos in Africa, same vibe, man. It's like just the music of the village, man. Were you getting like funk records from the states or like R&B records? Nothing. nothing. I never heard no R&B, no nothing. The person who put me up on like R&B, like like say, yo, you ever heard Nina Simone? I was like, no, that was Lauren. She's like, check this out, you know. Then I heard Nina Simone. You ever heard Four Tops? No. What's that? You know what I mean? Like I, I haven't heard of that. I was more like into like uh, Thelonious Monk, like Miles Davis and that side of it. You know what I'm saying to you? Um, but she put me up on that. In Haiti, it was like just listening to folk like um, we call it Racine roots music, Africana. You know what I mean? The core. Like till today, like when I hear that, I could run through a brick wall. And won't get hurt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and w- were you playing along to that stuff too as a kid? Singing. Singing along. Yeah, you're yeah. singing along and you're doing like these crazy harmonies along with it. You know what I mean? You're treating the, it's more like really using the voice as an instrument. You were learning your how to Your voice is an instrument, but your voice is a warrior. Like, you know what I'm saying to you? So in my village, you know, if you come in, we can announce you. You know how Pavarotti pro- projects, you know what I'm saying to you? So you, you could be a mile away and I'm like, like, you are going to hear me. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like the call of the wild. Like, it's really, like, yo, these Africans is coming for real. Like, <laughs> so so all of that kind of stuff is real. You know what I'm saying? All of that is instilled in me. You know what I'm saying? Right. You just put out a record in 2017. It was the first time in, like, eight years you've done something? Nine yeah. years? Yeah. And um, did you come, did you... Did you put something out again? Because you started feeling like maybe things are finally caught up to what I was doing. Well, I, I after I did Hipstone Live for Shakira, I mean that broke every record possible to mankind. Um, so a hundred million records worth of work. And once again, I, I one, here here we go. My brain is just different. I was like, I'm not gonna leave this earth, and knowing that I got this opportunity through the gods. And then in the next lifetime, they're going to be like, yo, what did you really do with it? Uh, yeah, yeah, man, you know, y'all got me out this village, you know, and I done, you know, helped everybody out. Y'all, ain't, y'all never heard of Beyonce? Yeah, I gave her first hit. Yeah, you heard of Whitney Houston? I did. They look at me like, dog, really, what did you do with your life? So at the end of the day, I went back to my land, man. I went back to Haiti and I ran because I wanted to become president of my country. So um, there, I have a very uh, militant side about me, and it's the realest side when it comes to Wyclef. Um, like Bob Marley, it's real for me. So um, if anybody go online, I mean, you could see from assassination plot to on down, it's real where I come from. But the idea of a guy saying, you know, I'm going to go back to my country, um, you could see like, 
when you leave in the space of music and the politics, how vicious it gets. You know what I'm saying? So you, you go from being loved overnight to you, they just turn you into a menace. You know, if you notice, they just pardoned Marcus Garvey. You know what I'm saying to you after they done set up and framed up so many of us, you know? So I felt like I was a patsy caught up in a bigger situation in Haiti where real people was trying to steal billions and billions of dollars. And now when you look back at it, where did all that money really go to? So at the end of the day, I ran for president because I wanted to change all that. Um, they took me out the race. I made my man become the president. And then after that, I left the country. And I went to Sweden, and I was spending time with Avicii. And, and, and me and Avicii, people be like, yo, why'd you go to Sweden? I'm like, yo, that's just one of them places I just felt good at. And, um, and then I chilled, and I was just getting my mind back because the music had changed. It went from hardware to software. So I liked the record Wake Me Up, and I liked what Tim was doing. So I went and spent some time. And when I got back, there was a small label called Heads Music, an all-female label. That's the CEO right there, Madeline Nelson. I loved what they was doing with artist development because it looked like they wasn't chasing the check, right? Because as a producer, think as a football coach, right? Like you could be a great coach, but when the players are in rhythm, that's a different kind of game. So every great coach with rings, for them to get excited, you have to get these players with rhythm. So when I saw what Heads was doing, and then, she, you know, they came, she came and was like, yo, Clef, um, we want you to partner up with our label, and we want you to do the same thing you did for Lauren, for Beyonce, for all of them, but we have a slew of kids that range from 18 to, like, 25, 26. I was like, yo, bring them in. And these kids just gave me that energy. And of course, it's natural. Quincy Jones ain't do Michael Jackson until he was 54. I'm 49. So all I could do is tell you that I'm just getting started. So when I came back, the first record I did, right, coming back was a record called Hendrix. Love that record, man. I, it was a tribute to Hendrix, and then I wanted to tell was my that, was that a big influence? Like yeah, Jimi Hendrix was a big influence. Like Hey Joe and all of that um, coming up. So the record when I said yo, when my cousin got his first tech, I was playing Jimi Hendrix in the basement. So I wanted to reintroduce myself right to now a kid that was nineteen that is in that frequency, and um, and then it's so crazy because. That record literally reinvented me to like the kids' kids, you know? And to them, they was like, yo, then they went back and listened to Gaunt in November. What was he talking about and all of that? So um, once again, I don't do music just because I want to do music. I don't know what that is. I got to feel it. So I felt it and I got the bug back. So with this new project that I'm putting out, the new epiphanies that I have. Why Clef goes back to why school. Why Clef goes back right. to school. So when you hear volume one, like um, the first record we had put out was Baba. And in Baba, the, there's a poet that comes at the end. He goes to NYU. And I, I put this right after I did my DNA test. Um, Hold on. We should say though real quick. I mean, uh -huh. cause, so why Clef goes back to school. Uh -huh. So when you put out the last record, the Carnival 3 uh -huh. in 2017, you went around to different schools to talk to 
to, in a, I guess, as you saying, reintroduce yourself to young folks, yeah, college yeah. age kids, to yes. young artists, and 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 you started collaborating with some of these kids, collaborating with them, and and you made a record with like. I don't know how many different kids, but there's like, what, 15 tracks on the... Yeah, yeah. The tour was going great success, but I was like, yo, we need to go into the schools. I want to do like this battle of the bands, but with no no reality show, no TV, no just, let's do it with the music programs. And let me just see the kids, like when I was in college and I was in the dorm and formed a little band and came out, I was like, this is where the magic's going to come so I was just looking for the talent. And from there, as a producer now, what I'm doing is, now when you listen to Why Clef Goes Back to School, you might, everybody you hear on there, you're going to be like, is this a, a nah, that ain't Adele. Who is it? You know what I'm saying? To you, I literally going to be, you're going to be like, yo, is this most deaf? Nah, that ain't most deaf. Who, you know? It's and then you're gonna have these moments all the time, and those are the moments that, as a producer, that I love best. Now let's go to the score. Seventy percent of the people on the score blew up from the score. Nobody knew who they were. The Outsiders, Akon was on the score. Omega, it goes on and on. So, while Clef goes back to school, I'm bringing you my curation of the future. So at the end of the day, I want when people listen to this, if you remember who Erica Badu was, here's a 20-year-old, she's 20 years old, but she sounds like Erica Badu. She ain't trying to be Erica Badu, but she was influenced by Erica Badu the same way they say I sound like Barb Marley. I ain't never meet Barb Marley, but I was influenced by Barb Marley. And how did it work with most of the kids? Was it like you wrote a track that they kind of added to? Did they write the track? I mean, or was it was it like a true collaboration? You sit down and try yeah, to come up with it ideas. Was 100%. I did it the same way I produced everyone else. Mary J, Whitney, I didn't l approach it different. So I have a vision. I have a song. And let's Co talk about it. Chords or something. You have chords. And yeah, a I have chords. I have a beat. I have a... Um, so we could take one song. Okay, let's do a song called Faded Butterfly. The topic's Faded Butterfly. Get the guitar, catch a vibe. So Faded Butterfly is just she ODs, you know what I'm saying? So how are we going to write the perspective of she just had too much of the lean and she had to go, you know what I mean? And then so what does the party night feel like that night in college, you know? Um, so <laughs> I ain't going to write that verse. She, he or she knows what they want to say. It's them. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm going to paint this this Sonics picture around it to make you want to play over and over again. So for me, um, I come up with the vibes, but it's so ill. The most interesting thing about why Clef goes back to school is if I do a beat, I put a hook and I say, send back 16 bars. Yo, man, the stuff the kids are saying, bro, it's almost like a completely new language. But are you writing it the same way as you would before? I mean, are, are you... So the, the, the whole idea with this, I want it to be like electronic software driven against the acoustic. So what I did was I was experimenting with a lot of software. A lot of software plugins do that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because I wanted it to be about 
the Wyclef Goes Back to School. This is what I've learned. Each track, you can see what I've learned and where we're taking it, you know? And then with each student, you know? Um, but the the guitar record, though, you know it's coming. <laughs> do you want to try to play some of, some of it? Like, just a... Uh... I always say, man, so... So if anybody didn't get the... Um, so Wyclef Goes Back to School... I would just show up at the school and I, I catch a vibe with the kids, you know what I'm saying to you? Donald Trump, he won the competition. Hillary Clinton, she put up a competition. I was smoking weed with Bernie Sanders. He should have won the competition. Y'all should have voted for me, yeah. I vote for me, yeah. Why clever for president? Oh, I word to Dave Chappelle. If I was president, I'll get elected on Friday. Assassinated on Saturday. Buried on Sunday. Then on Monday, everybody goes back to work. Yeah, I, like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day But I could be the president And you could be the president And she could be the president If I was president If I was the president Yeah A man say he gonna build a wall Have Mexico pay for it all I called up my Mexican friends They said, why Clef, we ain't gonna pay for shit there's a riot every week And the people on the street Everyone is living on the edge You could be the next If I was president I'll get elected on Friday Assassinated on Saturday Buried on Sunday Then on Monday Everybody goes back to work I like nothing happened It's just an ordinary day Vote for me, yeah I Vote for me, yeah Why clever for president So what I'm excited about is that I could just be clef You know what I'm saying to you? And I could absorb a lot of that material It's almost like when you open arms You get so much material So in the next three to four years, I know exactly where I'm going. And it's like, the true reinvention, I learned this from Michael Jackson, is not about you reinventing yourself. You can't, when people be like, yo, they reinvented themselves. No, no. The generation has to reinvent you. And in order for them to reinvent you, they have to feel you. And they got to just feel like you coming like raw. Like, I, this is who I am. Like, I'm not trying to be you. Accept me for who I am. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of love. That's why I'm excited, man. Thanks to Wyclef Jean for coming through Broken Record. We really appreciate it, man. He has a lot going on, including an animated series based on his childhood in Haiti coming to Netflix soon. Follow him on Twitter at Wyclef to stay up to date. And you can check out some of his music that we put together in a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And while you're there, sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter. 
Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Rex Orange County. Record a vibe, man. You sure y'all recorded this? I just felt like I was having a conversation with my cousin or something. <laughs>